You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Metro Detroit. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org.
Awesome. You guys, thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Go ahead and have a seat and take a look at this video. Hey, Kensington. I'm Andrea Gibbs. You may know me as director of our internship program, probably the greatest job on staff, but most people know me as the best cookie maker in the history of Kensington. Mm-hmm. And you know what goes great with cookies? The Bible. Seriously, pour yourself a glass of USDA certified organic unsweetened DHA omega-3 plant-based almond milk. Grab a cookie and cozy up to the best book in the history of time. Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books, dozens of authors, the beginning of times and the ends of times, all within one book. The Bible can seem intimidating, but don't worry, we've got you covered. Starting next week, we're launching a course called Bible Basics to help you understand the overall flow of the Bible in a safe community. You know how sometimes the Bible doesn't seem to make sense and can be overwhelming? Well, we'll step out of the details of the Bible and take a look at its big picture story to help give you context and confidence to jump back in. There are opportunities to join Bible Basics in person or virtually over the course of several weeks. To sign up or get more information, simply go to kensingtonchurch.org courses. And to work off these cookies, our friends from Hope Water Project have presented us with an exciting challenge, Every Mile Counts. Since we can't physically get to Kenya this year or participate in the Hope Water Project Marathon events, we're moving on a virtual journey, one mile at a time, to bring clean water to the Pokop tribe in Kenya. Over the past 13 years, over 100 wells have been installed. With each one, villages have grown, lives have been saved, communities have been formed, and thousands of people have heard the gospel for the first time. We have witnessed firsthand the amazing impact clean water can have, but there's still so much more to do. With Every Mile Counts, every $15 donated or raised moves us one mile closer to our destination. Whether you're a runner, a cyclist, a small group, or a family, this challenge really is for everyone. Please join us in helping our friends across the globe. Friends old and new, it's been a pleasure welcoming you to the second week of our Toolbox series. And a special hello to those checking us out for the first time. If you're new, we'd love to chat with you human to human. Text hello to 248-781-2771. You can also stay connected 24-7 at kensingtonchurch.org on the Kensington Church app, and on our social media channels. All right, let's jump into week two of our Toolbox series and see what God has for us today. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are you doing out there? Right. Doing well. Well, hey, I want to welcome you to Kensington. Uh, my name is Drew Daniels, and I work with our uh, young adults ministry that's called 1829. And so, in fact, actually, if you are a young adult in the uh, audience today or streaming, um, I would love to meet you. I'm lonely. I need friends. So come talk to me after service. I'd love to get to know who you are just a little bit. But hey, we're thankful that you're here. And what we're even more thankful for is for those of you who have been continuously uh, choosing to give here at Kensington during this pandemic and this season. Um, and right now, I just, it's just more of a moment of reminder that we do, in fact, collect an offering, um, but it's out in the lobby. It's touch-free. So if you have cash or check, you can uh, drop that in the bucket on the way out of service. 
And if, or you can be like me. I actually give online. My wife and I, we, we do. And you can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash giving. Um, and giving is even uh, easier on the app. It takes less than 10 seconds. Uh, or you can text give, which you simply uh, text the number 77977. The message is Kensington. And it'll spit a link right back out at you. And you click that link. You fill out your information. In fact, our whole young adult ministry uses it. Uh, it's really easy to use. And so we just want to say thank you um, for, for partnering with us in this time. And we believe that, um, that you are a crucial part of making everything happen um, that God allows us to be a part of. So thank you for joining us. Well, hey, um, we are in a series, a collection of talks that is called Toolbox, where we are trying to help disciple others and disciple ourselves in our faith journey. And so maybe if you, again, if you're joining us on the stream, uh, we actually have a Zoom opportunity because aren't we all familiar with Zoom at this point in our lives? Uh, We have a Zoom call even today at 1230 um, that you can find that link at kensingtonchurch.org slash groups if you're interested in joining a group. Honestly, I believe that those who find groups, you stay in community, you will find family here, you will end up forming relationships here that go far beyond just what happens here on Sunday morning. And I believe it's absolutely crucial for you to, know other people who you can share in your faith journey with. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that later today. But one thing I want to focus on, and this is where we're going to start our day today, and it's this, that the best way to lead others is to lead ourselves. The best way to lead others is to lead ourselves. And maybe you've heard this at a leadership conference at your workplace, but haven't you realized that every bad decision you've ever made, you were there for? Is that every single moment that you made a bad decision, you were present for? And so one of the most valuable ways we can lead other people is by first investing in ourselves. Because you take you wherever you go. The more you invest into yourself, you will arrive at every business negotiation, every family relationship, every parenting moment when you invest in yourself. So in fact, if you're a parent in the house or you're watching on stream, which if you have young ones and you're, you're... homeschooling and you're freaking out because there's not enough time in the day and that's why you can't even be at church today. We have an opportunity. It's a faith and family event that's happening on Zoom and it's uh, happening on September 24th at after bedtime, which I'm a new dad. I'm realizing the glory of after bedtime. Can I get an amen here this morning for young children? And it happens at 9 to 10 p.m. And if you want to find more information, it's kensingtonchurch.org slash faith and family. And Kensington staff is helping lead this. Ryan Morrill, and our amazing family director uh, here at uh, Kensington, as well as our uh, new lead pastor, Craig McGlasson and his wife, uh, who are absolutely fire, are going to be bringing this. And so you want to be able to interact with them. So if you're a parent or you're streaming, please check that out on September 24th, which is this Thursday. I know that because it's my wife's birthday. You never forget. You never forget. Well, hey, um, again, I... I really believe in this idea that, again, the the best way to invest into ourselves is is by choosing to pursue an active life of faith. Now, the problem is, is if we fail to invest into ourselves, that also has an influence on others. Now, my brother, uh, six, seven years ago, I have a twin brother, and when he was in college, he worked at Jimmy John's. And uh, one late night, uh, he was working just with his shift supervisor. And uh, when you are working at Jimmy John's, you know, a lot of the meat scraps kind of fall out under the the line. And and when you cut up bread, there's these things called bread guts. And so the shift supervisor um, was clowning and he, uh, you know, made this little baby sandwich of bread guts and some of the scraps of meat. And they put little tomatoes on it and he joked, he ate it. And he was like giving it to my brother. And they were just acting like a posse of clowns, just like eating this sandwich in Jimmy John's and, 
So my brother, the next day when he showed up to work, the managers called him into his office and they said, um, we know what you did last night. And um, we're just really, really broken about this. Um, and we've decided to fire the shift supervisor last night. And my brother was like, oh my gosh, like what happened? Like, was there some weird moment that happened? Like he had no clue. And they're like, we noticed that he was eating, <laughs> he was eating off the line. And if Jimmy saw this, he wouldn't approve. Like Jimmy from Jimmy John's. Had Jimmy from Jimmy John's seen this, Jimmy would not have approved. And my brother's like, wait, Jimmy from Jimmy? They're like, you know, we just, uh, and, and, and they treated it like it was this egregious sin. Like, like, like it was a couple that was managing this Jimmy John's and she was like, I just, I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe that he would eat off the line, all this food. Jimmy would never approve of this. And my brother, he begins to kind of get defensive because he's like, honestly, I, I, I never meant to, to like, you know, betray you guys in this way. You know, he was my shift supervisor. It was one of those things where he was my authority figure because, you know, he was eating this little baby sandwich. I thought I should eat this baby sandwich. And they were just like, but Jimmy would just be furious with this. I mean, he would, he would never like this. And my brother, just after a lot of defense and back and forth, he just goes, well, I guess, you know, the way that maybe my shift supervisor was thinking about, you know, maybe it was okay to cheat a little bit because, you know, I know, I know when you guys come in as managers, you'll bring your iced coffee to, to the store and really the smell of coffee mixes with the smell of bread. And I know if Jimmy found out, heads would be rolling. <laughs> and they walked it back. They were like, you know, um, you're right, Jimmy would be very upset. You know, I, I felt kind of convicted, like they follow Jimmy better than I follow Jesus, you know? Like I'm like, this is a spiritual moment for all of us here together, realizing that some people will follow Jimmy John to the ends of the earth, it, it appears. But either way, what I've realized in our influence and our leadership is what we allow in ourselves, we unintentionally produce in others. Whatever we allow in our behavior and our character or our attitude, whatever we allow, we unintentionally will produce in the lives and the relationships around us. In fact, even in inner relationships, many of us will carry tons of anger or bitterness or pity party about the life and the cards that we were dealt and people will experience us as angry people. And in that inner relationship, they become defensive and kind of blocked off from you. And then we will look at them and say, what's your problem for being so defensive and not realizing that we co-authored the problem that we're looking at. Maybe some of us, we have trust issues and we've never proven ourselves to be a trustworthy person. And so people don't, aren't able to trust us as a safe and secure relationship. And then we look at them and say, man, why aren't you trusting me? Because many times we help produce the very problems that are in our inner relationships in life. And the problem is, if we do not lead ourselves we will passively arrive at wherever the current of life takes us. Have you ever realized this, that all of life is upstream? The current of life is always headed towards decay, not growth. Like the default of our heart is always unhealth, not health. You never magically arrive somewhere just by being passive and hoping that you'll magically arrive somewhere. But instead, it's always about intentionality and active pursuit. Now, uh, my brother was visiting over the winter, and uh, ever have that relationship in your life where you often feel like you are the planner of the relationship? Anybody in here? Okay, good. You're not ratting out your spouse. I see you. That's good, parent. That's good marriage advice right there. But uh, my brother was visiting, 
And uh, I feel like I plan often in our relationship. And he's like, hey, when can we get the family together? And I was like, you know, I'm free these days. And he goes, okay, I'll set something up. And I was like, awesome, like, good for him. And so I get a text back saying, hey, we're gonna meet at the Ox restaurant, um, 6.15. You know, we worked it out with my sister's kids. And so it's gotta start at 6.15 so they can get to bed on time. And I was like, awesome, I'm so excited. So we get into my car and I'm with my wife. She's in the front seat. My, my brother is, is in the back seat of the car. And so, uh, you know, I start heading towards the Ox, which is in Oxford. And so I'm getting on M24 at 5.30. Uh, which is proof that Satan is really good at his job. And uh, I'm on, it's 5.30 and we're, we're just, we're heading up there, you know, I'm passing the, the Lake Orient Starbucks on my left. I'm getting past Lake Orient and Sagebrush Cantina. Shout out to the good chicken fingers there. On the right, I know it's a Mexican restaurant, but the chicken fingers are where I live at Sagebrush Cantina. And I'm passing Lake Orient and I'm heading towards Oxford. And my brother, he's just looking out the window. He just goes, bro, where are you going? I was like, what do you mean where I'm going? I'm going to the Ox in Oxford. I had my first date with my wife at the Ox. I know where I'm going. And he's like, no, dude, we're not going to the Ox. We're going to the Red Ox. I was like, bro, that's in Rochester. That's, in, that's on University. That's in Oakland. You know, we're, we're, going to, we're going north right now. And he's like, yeah, man. I just thought, I'm like, bro, you lived here. You've lived here for 18 years. You know we're on M24, the Devil's Highway going north. And you didn't say anything. Why didn't you say anything? See, there is a difference between the driver and the passenger. See, the driver will always determine the direction. The driver will always get to the destination. And the passenger is always just along for the ride. The passenger will always arrive at wherever the driver takes them. And my fear in our lives is many times we are passive like passengers. Maybe we delegate too much control to God when God's saying, I've given you agency and a brain. Or maybe we're, 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 at, we're passive in our faith, just hoping that we're gonna magically arrive at this vibrant faith when I believe God has called us to pursue. See, the bridge between where we are and where we would like to be is found through intentionality. It's found through pursuit. And that's what I wanna talk about today, is to have pursuit over passivity. Because it's so easy in life to be along for the ride instead of actually taking control of our faith journey. And that's a tool that we wanna to explore today. In fact, um, all of life, I believe, is a series of decisions between these two postures of passivity and pursuit. You know, am I gonna allow my teenager to repeat those lyrics? Am I gonna allow my nine-year-old to do that TikTok dance? Am I going to casually eat a whole sleeve of Oreos? Are we gonna be passive? Or are we gonna pursue what's good for us? In fact, I actually work you know, in young adults with a lot of singles. And for a lot of single women, there's so much literature surrounding this one idea. Now, I am here for an independent queen in the year 2020 who gets to pursue. I'm not, I'm not against that. But one thing that we find even in secular cultures is all this literature surrounding women saying, don't always be the one pursuing for women. Because a lot of times what happens is the women might be the first text message. They may be the first one to put their feelings out there. May, they may be the first one to kind of def, try to define the relationship and where, where are we going with it? And because what happens is as men by nature a little bit, we're a little bit more passive, especially when there's chaos in our life. We, became, we, we can be more silent. And so what happens is, is if women choose to pursue it every single step, the guy gets to receive all the benefits of the relationship without it actually costing him something. And what happens is many times the way we start in relationships is the way that we stay in relationships. See, many of you know this. 
You know, maybe you started dating somewhere in the beginning of your marriage. It took, you know, you'd ask, ask your partner how they were doing and it took, them, it took you 34 times. And you realize that over time, you can't just ask your partner 34 times until they really tell you. But many times it's the patterns we establish at first. It's how we stay. And the only way to get away is through intentionality. It's through pursuit and, and overcoming a pattern. And so today, whether you're, you're far on your faith journey or you're just starting, I wanna establish good patterns of pursuit because I believe this is what God has invited us into. See, I believe that God has designed faith for something to be pursued, not arrived at. Faith is something we don't just fall into. It's something we pursue. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament, so oftentimes he would end up doing some miracles because of people's faith. And he said, you know what? I don't even want to respond to some of the, because there's not enough faith in this area, specifically his own hometown. Is it, have you ever realized why God is so hidden? Is that he's not visible with our two eyes? Is that God is hidden because he is in the mystery on purpose. He wants us to take the step forward. The whole nature of faith is not having the answer. The whole nature of faith is not having the information, you see? So he wants us to pursue him in the middle of the mystery. If we knew everything, maybe we wouldn't need God. But that's why faith exists, so that we constantly pursue. In fact, there's a, 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 key, a, key, a key message in the Old Testament that God sets up to his uh, people in Israel. And he says this in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, we don't like that when, because we just wanna be able to, oh, if you seek me, then you're going to find me. But it's like, no, when you seek me with all of your heart, and we're like, I don't know if I like that. Hey, have you ever maybe heard this, and I feel like we all have heard this, is, hey, God's unconditional, and he is, but not in every category. God's unconditional in his love for you, that will never change. There is no condition to that, that is freely offered. If you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that is unconditional. You didn't do anything to earn that. In fact, you can't lose it by anything that you do. It's something that God freely gives us, it's unconditional. However, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is an if-then statement. If you pursue me, if you're intentional, if you look for me, if you try, if you put yourself in the middle of faith, then you will find me in discovery. It's an if-then statement. And so today, I want to look at, in our toolbox, what I'm calling the triangle of pursuit. The triangle of pursuit. Uh, let's put that on the screen. The triangle of pursuit, it is a series of up, in and out. This is very Dave Wilsonian, if you will. You know, can you imagine him? You gotta go up with God in a vertical relationship, out into the world, you know? It's always this, you know, up with God in a community, you know? So up and out, you got it? Out of time to blaze through, up and out, it's God. Like that's, I'm channeling my Dave, so. But up, in and out, upwards with God in relationship, inwards, diving into community and out on mission. And so I wanna look at the first one. I'm calling this up, pursue in private. To pursue in private. You see, our model for all of these directions is Jesus. Jesus modeled these well. In fact, Jesus cared so much not about pursuing in private that he gave three teachings in a row in Matthew chapter six, where he says, when you pray, don't stand in front of people on the corners like the hypocrites do. Instead, go in private where your father is. Hey, when you give, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. 
Let it be private. He says, don't disfigure your faces when you fast. Instead, do it because you care about breaking injustice. See, it's all about private. The reason why I think Jesus cares so much about what happens in private is because when we are in public, there's a chance for our motivations to become polluted. Our motivations, our motivations can be polluted by wanting other people to view us as holy or to accept us or for us to belong with a, a group of spiritual people. But when we're in private, there's an audience of one. And so our motivations aren't polluted, but rather they're pure. And whatever happens between us and our heavenly father, God knows that we are there for him and not for the applause of others. In fact, Jesus demonstrated this in his own private pursuit. I have a list of verses that says, number one, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Oh, this is very text heavy. Are you with me today? Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. Number three, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Number four, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Number five, when Jesus heard, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Number six, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Number seven, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with them, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And number eight, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. You see, Jesus knew that there was something he could get in the quiet that he just couldn't get in the corporate. He realized that God can be found when your motivations aren't being polluted by all the ministry or the applause or the accolades that you're trying to do, but rather there is a still small whisper that happens in private that's just between you and God. You see, I actually view this practice in private kind of like I view fitness. See, fitness, when you go to the gym for 30 to 45 minutes, you know you're about to get a good workout. But fitness isn't confined to 30 to 45 minutes. It can be a lifestyle. It's what you eat. It's parking far away. It's taking the stairs. And I think for many of us, especially for those moms who are, you are with three children right now and you've been up since 5 a.m. and so you can't even come to church right now. For you, you don't have all these minutes. Where am I gonna get 30 to 45 minutes? Really, Drew, are you serious? But instead, it's a lifestyle. For instance, my life, she, my, my life, my wife loves when I call her in the middle of my transitions. Like if I'm leaving work from Kensington and I'm driving to a coffee or I'm leaving here to go pick up food. She loves it when I call. She loves knowing where I am. Like she's just a wild about it because she just feels more connected to me. Like she knows it's happening in my life because, you know, for me, I'm very present and, and I don't like to text a ton. And so, but, but it means the world to her. So I think what I'm trying to say is that my wife is a lot like God. And many times with God, it's not about the quantity of the time that you spend. But sometimes it's about the quality of the connection that you experience. Yes, you're going to get a great workout if you spend 30 to 45 minutes. However, you can also spend 30 to 45 minutes in a workout and have terrible form and be doing bicep curls with your entire back and you're not really gaining muscle. Likewise, you can spend all this time with God and not actually connect with him because you're putting on a show still. And, and differently, it's not about the amount of time, but rather the quality of connection. So you might have a vibrant relationship with God and it comes at transitions. It comes in the small moments, not in the large ones. And so pursue God in private as an upward to keep your faith fresh. Number two is to pursue your people. This is in, not like I know it's like in, it feels like in, but it's actually more like in to me, you see like intimacy. See, I believe that when God said it's not good for us to be alone, 
you know, physically alone. I also believe it's not good for us to be psychologically alone. And we need to have friends like Jesus who invited 12 disciples to be with him in his ministry. He even had an inner three of Peter, James, and John. See, the disciples weren't people. Yes, he taught them, but he didn't have to minister to them. He ministered to the crowd. And then the disciples, he called them friends. In fact, Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, when he kisses Jesus, Jesus says, friend, do what you came for. That even in the middle of our greatest betrayals, Jesus offers friendship to all of us. And he calls all of his disciples his friends. And he says this in um, John chapter 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see what the qualification for friendship with Jesus was? It was the fact that he could tell his friends his father's business. He could tell his friends what was happening in his relationship with God. He was able to reveal what God was telling them and, and show it to his friends. Meaning, are you revealing your relationship with God or are you concealing your relationship with God? See, I feel like that is the true measurement and test of friendship. Are you able to freely show and reveal and expose that companionship always requires courage and vulnerability to step forward? And if you, and if you have silence in your heart, you'll never flourish. If silence means that you belong, then you'll never flourish. So are you re revealing your faith or are you concealing it? And I actually feel like too, one of the problems that many of us have is we make friendships out of obligation and not joy, right? Have you ever had a friendship you kind of felt obligated? Like you're making a list of pros and cons of whether they're your friend and what, what about that connection is, is here and there, right? Like, like this is what I mean when you say obligation. Or, or maybe you've had a friend that felt obligated to be your friend and, and you, you go up to them and you're like, hey, like what are you guys doing Saturday? Like, um, you know, uh, yeah, me and Paul, we're, we're gonna go fishing. Um, you know, I mean, you can come if you want. It's like, I don't, I don't feel invited. See, a true friend, they'd be like, hey, you better be there or I'm gonna kill you. Like murder threats is the real sign of friendship because then you say back, man, I'm gonna kill you before I kill you first, bro. It's like the real sign of friendship and closeness. I actually have like a group chat of four guys who our phones, I literally have this group chat on do not disturb and it's been blowing up for six years and then up until this week, we all laid our marriage, how our marriages are doing. I'm like texting, I'm like, hey, I have a baby. Like, do you guys, you know, still have marriage conversations? Because sometimes when you have a baby, you feel like you forgot that you were married and you still got to be in touch. Like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about it. Are you revealing what's happening in your life or are you concealing what's happening in your life? And then the final uh, uh, place of uh, direction of pursuit is out to pursue your purpose, to pursue your purpose. See, purpose is different than destiny. Destiny is like this mystical place where it's like your, your will or whatever, which we, we're not talking about in the scripture. But purpose is finding meaning. See, purpose is finding meaning in all of your labor and toil in life. And, and, and I believe God has designed us all and to have many purposes. And maybe we have one that's stronger that we gravitate to. You see, who are the people that you want to minister to or love and see and bless because they share a story just like yours. Is that many times it comes from our history, our purpose does. What happened to us? Maybe some of the pain becomes our platform. In fact, Jesus, he actually 
had a purpose. He had a mission statement. And it says this in Luke chapter 19. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. The son of man came to seek. Are you in here today as someone who felt like church wasn't for you and the moment that you stepped inside of a a church, you might burn a little bit or people are gonna look at you and they're gonna know that you are different and that you don't belong here and you had that insecurity today or have ever had that insecurity or anxiety in your life? See, here's the beauty is that Jesus was willing to risk his reputation in front of religious people and was literally called a friend of sinners. The title of Jesus, according to religious people, was that he associated, and by association was, in fact, a sinner. He possibly couldn't have been the son of God. There was no way that he was the Messiah that had come because he was a a friend of sinners. And so if you are in here today and, and you feel distant and far from God, we don't have to wonder where God would have gone if he came. We don't have to wonder who he hung out with because he has probably been with you just like he was the friend of sinners. And as you come in here, today, you're realizing that he actually has been pursuing you because he loves you. And today maybe is the first time you're realizing it. Is that God always has a heart to seek and save that which feels lost. So do you feel lost? And I feel like many of us as Jesus followers, we, we look at a mission and going out into the world and we kind of feel like we got to be secret agents. I don't know about you, but for me, I always there's always a couple few people that are on my heart. And some of these people are actually my cousins who live in California, who I've just loved and enjoyed. And I, I, don't, I didn't know where they stood with their faith. And, and I kind of felt like the secret agent where, you know, I had this, this kind of agenda. But, but the problem with being a secret agent with an agenda is that people feel that and they kind of are, are paralyzed by it. And that's why, why a lot of us, we feel like we don't wanna step out and love people or see them or serve them or talk to them about Jesus because it's, it's awkward and we feel that agenda. And I, um, when during a lot of the, this cultural moment where there's racial tension and um, something that you know, I believe is that racism is wrong and this isn't a red or a blue issue, this is a sin issue, this is something that grieves God's heart that all people deserve to be treated equally. And so in this moment, I just, you know, I, I posted something in a lot of the, cult, the, the cultural moments a few months ago and uh, those cousins, of all people who reached out, these cousins messaged me in inbox and said, Drew, I'm not gonna lie, like, I've really struggled with church and religion. And I, I consider myself a spiritual person. I'm drawn to that. But the fact that the you, and I know that you work at a church, and you do, the fact that you would say this publicly makes me feel like the whole religious experience is redeemed for me because I feel safe that this is, is something that Christians and Jesus could stand for. And I wonder for so many of us in our lives when it comes to the mission and the people, we don't have to be secret agents trying to tiptoe our way in our conversation of like, maybe if I don't swear, they're gonna notice I'm a Christian. No, what if it's by the way that we stand up in, in culture and say, you know what? I believe that God loves all people that he's willing to be a friend of sinners, that he's not willing to judge those on the outside, but he, he calls his people to holiness on the inside of the church. Like what if God was just inviting us to stand on convictions? And maybe that conviction is the purpose that he's already locked inside of you. In fact, I have a, a mentor who has been in the faith for a long time. And I remember asking, I was like, how in the world is your faith so fresh? because you study the Bible, you're always, you have the, the best community of the best Bible study. He's like, honestly, 
it's all about mission for me. He's like, if I'm not sharing my faith and actively pursuing something, I just get really bored and really cozy. See, the problem is if we don't have an outward focus and all we do is go up and all, and all we do is go in, we can either be cozy or critical. Cozy because we don't need to do anything else. We're fine. And, or critical because, you know, we know more and we have it all. But it's on the trench where, man, people are. And that's where Jesus was, dining with a tax collector, dining with a prostitute. So today, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are. I, I actually, uh, for myself, I, I was in therapy for four months while my wife was pregnant with her child because I had a lot of work to do when it came to my attitude, when it came to just thought processes I developed over time and expectations of life and, and deep pain that really has turned into bitterness and anger. And I had to process so much of that. And this week I was, I was talking to my wife and I looked at her, I was like, I don't want to do the work. Like I did the work. I don't want to have to go back and do it because I know that I need to. And I know some of us are exhausted because pursuing is just doing the work. It's like the last place I am in my faith journey is doing the work. And for you, you have deep pain because you don't know why God would allow people to suffer needlessly, why God allowed your situation because it just doesn't make sense. It seemed like that's just a, a net loss on your life. It just was more painful and for some of you, you're, you're masking it and you're actually rushing to the meaning phase of your pain. You're like trying to be like, this is what God's doing. And you're not even grieving. And so today I wanna give us permission to have space to say, if you don't wanna pursue, that I wanna say this, don't let what you don't know trump what you do know. And what you do know is that God is found in the unknown and in the mystery. See, there's an author whose name was Anne Rice, and she was a famous author who wrote secular books, and she had a conversion to Christianity, and she writes this, a, a, this moment of conversion for her, and what helped her believe and trust in Jesus after this long journey was not about the fact that she knew everything. It was about the fact that God did, and this is what she writes. In the moment of surrender, I let everything go. I let go of all the theological or social questions which had kept me from him for countless years. I simply let them go. There is this sense, profound and wordless, that if he knew everything, I did not have to know everything. And that, in seeking to know everything, I'd been, all of my life, missing the entire point. No social paradox, no historic disaster, no hideous record of injustice or misery should keep me from him. No question of scriptural integrity, no torment over the fate of this or that atheist, no worry for those condemned and ostracized by my church or any other church should stand between me and him. The reason, it was magnificently simple. He knew how or why everything happened. He knew the disposition of every single soul. This was his world, all of this. He had complete control of it. His justice, his mercy were not of our justice or our mercy. What folly to even imagine such a thing. I didn't have to know how he was going to save the unlettered or unbaptized or how he would redeem the conscientious heathen who had never spoken his name. I didn't have to know why good people suffered in agony or died in pain because he knew. And it was his knowing that overwhelmed me. His knowing that became completely real to me his knowing that became the warp and woof of this universe, which he had made. His was, after all, the divine mind. 
which had created DNA only lately discovered in every physical cell. His was the divine mind that had created the sound of the violin and the Beethoven concerto. His was the divine mind that made snowflakes, idle flames, birds soaring upwards, and the gravity that seemingly held the universe together as our planet, our single little planet, hurtled through space. Of course, if he could do all of that naturally, he knew the answer to every conceivable question before it was even formulated. He knew the worst suffering that a human soul could feel. Nothing was wasted with him because he was the author of it all. He was the creator of creatures who felt anger, alienation and rage and despair. And this great novel that was his creation, he knew every plot, every character, every action, every voice, every syllable and every jot of ink. And why should I remain apart from him just because I couldn't grasp all of this? He could grasp it, of course. It was love that brought me into his awareness. Love that brought me into a complete trust in him. A trust that God who made us could never, ever abandon us. That the seeming meaninglessness of our world was the limit of our understanding. And never, never the limit of his. Father, we thank you that you pursue us and that you invite us into the mysterious place where you're found. And that even when we don't know, you know. And God, let that be peace for our souls and the pain that we're experiencing. And God, let us give us the courage and the vulnerability and to overcome the fear just to pursue you so that we can enjoy the love that brought us into the awareness of you. So God, let us pursue you with what we have. We thank you. In your name, amen. Persevere. I won't. 
Come on, can we stand as we sing this last song? Sing God of creation. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. Come on, you sing. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath. The planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. Yeah. So.
And that's the God that we serve. The God that we serve created a hill so that we could find our life there. And that his heart is reflected in 8 billion different ways. Is that his heart is for you. And something I didn't say is that God pursues you. And he pursued us in the greatest way, which is manifested through Jesus, his son, who died on a cross for all of us to have life is that he leaves the 99 who are fine to pursue the one who is lost. And so today, if that is you, and you feel like you need some prayer, man, we would love to pray with you, socially distanced in that corner in the room over there. If you even have questions or conversations, you feel like God's doing something in your life, in your heart, don't miss this chance to move some things around in your soul by speaking it out to someone else. And if maybe for you, you need to pursue that inward life of community, and uh, I would encourage you, if you want to have a conversation or get to know more information, there's a Zoom call happening at 1230 today on our website, kensingtonchurch.org groups. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming out. We'll see you next week for Toolbox. Take care. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and, of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.